Bibles today to Romans chapter 12. If you read your bulletin, the bulletin says that we're going to cover Romans 12, verse 3 through 21, but um, we're not going to get that far. Uh, Today what we're going to do is cover Romans 12, verse 3 through 8. And in this section right here, it, it really speaks of the gifts of the Spirit And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at what I would call, in one sense, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Next week, we're going to see godliness. Today, we see giftedness. And they go together. You know, you can't just have a gift without being godly. But we we, we need to exercise those gifts for the glory of God. And we're going to see a really neat study today. Because Paul says here in verse 3, I say, through the grace given to me, To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You know, as we start now in Romans 12, we've kind of crossed that bridge. Verse 1 and 2 are like some classic verses that connect the doctrine with the duty, connect the belief with the behavior. It's amazing to me how immediately Paul goes into the area of ministry. You know, we read the verse in which the Lord says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And so, you know, you're thinking, okay, wow, this is the verses that tell us to give our, our lives to the Lord. And so it's kind of interesting to me that the very first thing he mentions is the ministry. And how as Christians, we need to get busy about his business serving the Lord. You know, and I know we got a lot of things going on. I know we're distracted and we're bummed out for so many reasons. And I don't want to make light of those things. But man, you can really lose sight of what God really wants from your life now that he's saved you, now that he's redeemed you, is he wants you to use the gifts that he's given to you in order to glorify God and to reach out to the people. And once you begin to kind of get your eyes off yourself and just get your eyes on the Lord, it's amazing how life then begins to be put back together. And Paul right here, he just, man, he just jets into the ministry. You guys, make no mistake about it. God's not impressed with bench warmers. He wants people who would be serving him in the ministry. He wants us all to be involved, not just 10% of the church. He wants us all to be doing our part, pulling our weight. After all, the way that it works is like this. There's only one body. They have different members. 
And we desperately need each other if we are to be a healthy, holy body. And so, you know, when you look at the Bible, the Bible teaches regarding the church that you're a building. And so God lives in you. He possesses you. You're also a bride. Well, you ladies, you study that on Tuesday, how, you know, as a bride, you need to be pure. But we're also a body. And as a body of believers, we're all different members. We need each other in order that we could be healthy and holy for the glory of God. Right here, Paul says in verse 3, I say, through the grace given to me. In other words, I say as an apostle, is really what he's saying, with some spiritual authority, to everyone who is among you, that includes everyone who is among us, (laughs) not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You know, being a Christian means a a lot of things. One thing, it means you know God. Another thing means you know yourself. You don't want to think too highly of yourself. And at the same time, you don't want to think too lowly of yourself. You want to think truly of yourself. And that's what Paul is saying here. You know, some people think, well, because they have a certain position that they're better than the others. And there's no way, man. The eye can't say to the hand, I'm better than you. I don't need you. You know, for example, myself, just because I have the gracious privilege of being a pastor, it does not in any way mean that I am more important than anyone else. And that's what Paul warns about here in verse 3, that no one is to think too highly of himself. Because we're all important members of the body. Now, he goes on to explain the simple fact that God has given us different gifts. And so let's not think one is better than the other. Let's exercise those gifts for the glory of God and the good of his people. Warren Risby said this, Nothing causes more damage in a local church than a believer who overrates himself and tries to perform ministry that he cannot do. He said, though, sometimes the opposite is true as well. People who undervalue themselves. He said both attitudes are wrong. I once ministered, he said, with two men who had opposite attitudes towards their gifts. The one man constantly belittled his gifts and would not use them, while the other man constantly boasted about his gifts that he didn't even possess. See, here's the way it works. When individual believers in a church know their gifts, accept them by faith, and then use them for God's glory, then God can bless in a wonderful way. You know, it was so cool. Yesterday, we had the cleanup day, and uh, I'm so excited because the office got rearranged and it got cleaned. And I'm one of those guys who likes to move around the furniture. You know how that is at home. You move the furniture. You're like, wow, I'm I'm in a new home now. It's kind of a a neat feeling. I'm so excited. I came this morning. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. My books are over here. And, you know, the, the shelves have been dusted. But we did a lot yesterday because so many different people came out to serve. We had 30 people here cleaning the building. And it was such a blessing. We had 12 ladies sign up to wash clothing so that we can get them clean and ready to give to the people who need. It's amazing what happens when people catch the vision and they're led by the Lord, and together we can do so much more than what we would ever be able to do apart. 
And what Paul is trying to say here is, listen, you know, you giving your body to Christ and it's not just some weird thing that you did over there. What that means is that now you begin to serve with the gifts that God has given to you. You see, what you need to do is discover the gifts that God gives, then develop those gifts and then begin to deploy those gifts. We really do need each other, you guys. Remember that. You know, several years ago, a true story about two students who graduated from the Chicago-Kent College of Law. The highest-ranking student in the class was a blind man, and his name was Overton. And he received an honor in his graduation. And what he did with that honor is that he insisted that half the credit should go to his friend, a man by the name of Kazpirak. And what had happened was this blind man was there one day in school and he met a man who was armless. And they kind of went down the stairs together. The man with the armless and yet sightless body was able to guide the man who was blind and couldn't see. And so this acquaintance, what ended up happening was ripened into a friendship and a beautiful Beautiful example of interdependence. The blind man carried the books, which the armless man read aloud in their common study. And thus, the individual deficiency of each was compensated for by the other. And so after the graduation, they planned to practice law together. You know, you might be here today and thinking, I can't do much. I'm a a blind man. But you know that man who has uh, no arms, he can probably use your arms. You might be here to think, singing, well, I can't do much. I, I'm an armless man. Well, you know that man who has a deficiency who can't see, he could probably use your eyes. And I don't know where you're at. I just pray that we would think soberly of ourselves, not too high, but not too little, right where we belong. And when we do that, God is going to move even as I've seen him begin to do in this church. But it needs to get deeper and it needs to get stronger. You know, just as in baseball, you have players with different positions and responsibilities and together you make a team. So also in the church, we have different positions and responsibilities and together we make a team, a body, one body, many members, but with different functions. As a matter of fact, Paul even says, look what he says there at the end of verse 5, and individually members of one another. What that means is in one sense that we belong to each other. Kind of interesting, huh? That's what the Bible says. And so Paul here encourages the Christians to understand that they are part of a body, that they have been given gifts that they need to exercise for the glory of God, And then he begins to list some specific gifts. In verses 6 through 8, he gives us seven specific gifts. The gift of prophecy, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and the gift of mercy. Now, the Bible actually mentions at least 21 explicit gifts of the Spirit. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know what gifts you have. I don't know if you've ever really studied this in depth. Um, but uh, if you want to, you can maybe pick up the CDs. We studied this together a while back 
on the gifts of the Spirit, and you can look at all of them in depth. We even have some handouts that list all 21 gifts and the Scripture references for them. And if you want that, you can see me afterwards, and I'll, and I'll give you a copy of that so that you can begin to discover your gifts and develop those gifts and deploy those gifts. I think I've mentioned to you guys before, if you don't know what gifts you have, you're like a guy who says, well, I play baseball, but <laughs> you don't know where. You play shortstop, third base, catcher, pitcher. I mean, you've you got to know what position you have. And then once you begin to find that out, you begin to exercise that for the glory of God because one day we will stand before God and we will give an account. This is not a game. It's not. You go and you bury your talent and you'll be in, you'll be in trouble one day. I mean, you're going to be bummed with the loss of reward that you will experience because you were not willing to take that step of faith. And so Paul here, right after he says, hey, uh, I want you to give your life to the Lord, right away he says, okay, ministry. And you begin to minister. It's an interesting thing. Gift in the biblical context, what it is, you guys, is a supernatural ability graciously given to the Christian by God. It happens when you get saved or subsequently thereafter And it's been given to you to give back to the church. It's given to you so that you can invest it into the body and exercise it faithfully for the work of the ministry. You might be here today thinking, no, I don't have a gift. Yes, you do. Everybody has at least one gift. I would say all of you have multiple gifts. That's what I would probably say. But we have at least one gift, one supernatural ability. Isn't that cool? You're like Superman, Superwoman, supernatural ability given to you, entrusted to you to be given back again for God's glory and the people's good. And that's why it's important to understand these things. I wonder this morning if you know what gifts you have. Do you? Some of you here do because you've studied this before, but I would venture to say that most of you don't. And yet you should be able to identify them. Not only do you know what gifts you have, but do you exercise those gifts diligently, wholeheartedly, and faithfully as you are called to do? You know, one thing he mentions right here, notice right there in verse 6, he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And he mentions one right here, if prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. It's kind of an interesting thing. As we go through the list, the way that he works it out, he says, if you're a teacher, then teach. (laughs) If you're a prophet, then prophesy. If you're uh, given the gift of giving, then guess what God wants you to do? Give. It's really simple. And yet, a lot of times, the church doesn't do it. Now, the word prophecy is an interesting gift. And that is to foretell or to foretell God's word, God's message. If you have that gift of prophecy where you can foretell, you can foretell not just expounding the scriptures, but impounding a message from God into the heart of the congregation, then man, use it. You know, not that, you know, you know the lottery numbers, nothing like that, you know. Like, I know what horse is going to come in. That's not the prophecy I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about foretelling or forthtelling God's message to a heart uh, that God sends you to. And we need those gifts today exercised in the church. Whatever you do, don't be here today doubting that God can give a personal message. Don't be a quencher. God can speak today. And some of you have that gift of prophecy and you've buried it. And God says, listen, unbury it and take steps of faith that you might use it right there in proportion to your faith because it really is a wonderful gift. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he said, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. That's pretty interesting if you think about it. He says, pursue love. How many of you say love is important? I mean, it's important, right? Spiritual gifts, okay, that includes all of them. But Paul says, especially that you might prophesy. Why is that? Because the church is waiting for the one who has penetrated the veil and has gazed with inward eye upon the wonder that is God and has heard his voice and then comes back and relays that to the people. How we need fresh manna in which God gives us a message and we give that message to others. Now, of course, the Bible does say to test the prophets, make sure they're not you know, weird or anything, but man, don't despise prophecies. I've had this happen many times in my life where someone who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit, many times people who are just crying when they're sharing things with me, but they're giving me a personal message from God that I know it's God because it's confirmation. It's something that the Lord has been ministering to my heart already. And when they share it with me, This is an amazing thing because God uses that personal word to direct me or to encourage me or to strengthen me in my walk with him. Man, tragically, there are some who doubt this and deny this, that God still does this, but they have no biblical basis for their denial. God, help us to know that the Lord continues to prophesy. And if you have that gift, to exercise that gift accordingly. You know, I I see here the gift of prophecy. And and then look at verse 7. We have the gift of ministry. He says, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. It's, again, very simple. Now, some people will divide these gifts right here, these seven gifts, into the speaking gifts and the serving gifts. And that might be true. Here we have a serving gift. The Greek word is diakonia, and it describes a person who executes the commands of another. It's where we get our English word deacon from, diakonia, deacon. And although we are all called to ministry in one way or another, I have seen it. I don't know if you've seen it, but there are those with that supernatural gift who have it in themselves so deeply. They're moved, they're motivated to ministry, man. They just cannot escape it burns inside of them to serve the living god and when you see someone like that and they're just busy about their father's business and they are not caught up with the cares of this world they love the lord more than anyone else and anything else and they just get so involved and busy about his business to me it's just an amazing thing it's a beautiful thing and i see people like that and i think wow they've got the gift of ministry while others trying to get him involved is like pulling teeth. 
don't want to serve. Well, what's better in life than exercising the gifts that God has given to you? While the church isn't perfect, so I'm not going to serve. You're never going to find a perfect church, never. And if you join it, you're going to mess it all up, man. You're going to jack it all up because you're not perfect. Well, yeah, but I'm more perfecter than they are. No, you're not. And so you know what? Serve the Lord. I'm not saying you have to get involved in the church here at Calvary Chapel Almani, but, but maybe you do. You know, maybe for you it's something different. All I know is it's got to be something that God lays on your heart and God calls you to do. You know, if you have the gift of ministry, it's kind of an interesting thing how they stand out. When others have faded out, when others have dropped out, you know, and for various reasons, this individual just continues to serve because God put it in you. It's supernatural. It's a calling into the ministry. It's a gift. And you don't need to be head honcho to do it. You just need to be an individual willing to serve. Here we have the gift of prophecy. We have the gift of ministry. And we have the gift of teaching. He says right there, he who teaches in Teaching, And so you say, yes, as a matter of fact, I am a teacher. I teach over at the prestigious university down the street. <laughs> well, just because you teach for the money doesn't mean you teach for the master, huh? Just because you have the job of teaching, it doesn't mean you have the gift of teaching. And just because you have a whole bunch of knowledge and a platform to speak from, it doesn't mean that you have that calling on your life. You know, I have seen this. And again, all these things are supernatural things, you guys. They cannot be explained in human terms. I've seen men and women with absolutely no formal training or no formal education whatsoever with an absolutely incredible gift of teaching. And when they share the word of God, they connect with the congregation. They communicate with the people, not just any message, but God's message. And that is a supernatural gift given to an individual that cannot be explained in human terms other than saying God gave them a gift. And they teach God's word. And that message, when they teach it, it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other. It gets planted into the hearts of men and women. Why? Because, again, it's a gift given to them by God for the church. The Bible says that teaching is a gift. And even that teachers are a gift. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, from Jesus himself. And if there's one thing that's needed today in this world, again, all these gifts are equal, but let me tell you something, man. The teaching of the word of God, not just, you know, evangelists, not just impounding, but expounding, explaining the Bible to the congregation is so imperative. In the world that we live in. Ephesians 4 talks about how important it is. And he kind of shares a couple of things that are similar to what we're sharing today. How we need each other. How the whole body needs each other. And how we grow when every single member of that body begins to function faithfully. And then when that teacher is allowed to teach God's word. How we grow up. And how we no longer are children tossed to and fro. Carried about with every wind of doctrine. But that as the teaching of the word goes out, that people mature and they become to have the stability of the Savior, and that is Jesus Christ himself. If you have that gift, 
you're a teacher, then what are you supposed to be doing? According to the Bible. Come on, you guys. It's right there. What are you supposed to be doing? Teaching. That's pretty simple, huh? The Bible's not that complicated, man. If you're a prophet, then you're supposed to be prophesying. If you're a minister, you're supposed to be ministering. If you're a teacher, you're supposed to be teaching. Are you teaching? You see, we really need to ask the Lord to lead us in these things. You know, and that might be behind a podium. It might be behind a pulpit. If you're waiting for that to happen, don't wait any longer. It might be in a small group setting or it might be in a discipleship mode. God might call you to teach the children. God might call you to teach the women. God might call you to teach the men. It might be at Calvary Chapel or it might be at the convalescent home, at the park or at the prison. All I know is this, that the people need the teachers to teach God's word. You know, some of the greatest pastors were men who were her first trained and tested whether or not they'd be willing to teach the kids. Because a lot of times what guys want to do is they want to teach on Sunday morning. And that's fine. If God said that in your heart, cool. But just, you know, maybe start by teaching the kids. Teaching the teens. Teaching your kids. See? But if you have that gift, you need to exercise it faithfully. Here he gives these different gifts. And the next one he uses right there is the gift of exhortation. Verse 8, he who exhorts an exhortation. The Greek word is parakaleo, and it literally means to call to one side. And this speaks of an individual that comes to you to speak words of comfort, instruction, or admonishment. God uses these people to console or to encourage or to strengthen or to urge someone to do God's will. They're kind of like a crowbar. (laughs) And they're used by the Lord to peel you away, to make a difference in your life. And just when they speak, it just burns inside. You know, I don't know if you ever met someone like that, but they just have a way, they have a knack, they have a gift to come alongside and to strengthen you with their words. Like I said, these are gifts of service. These are gifts of speaking. God help us to open our mouth and to let these words flow from our heart. If you have that gift of exhortation, we see it so beautiful in the book of Acts. If you want to turn to a few verses over in Acts chapter 2, we see it in verse 40. It says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. This is Peter with the gift of exhortation. If you go over to Acts chapter 11, we see this over and over again in the early church. In Acts chapter 11, in verse 23, speaking of Barnabas, it says, And when he came and had seen the grace of God, He was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. And, you know, Barnabas had a strong gift of encouragement. I don't know if you guys knew that a strong gift of exhortation, just as, you know, with every gift, there are degrees of faith. There's degrees of grace given in every in every gift. But Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. And the thing that I love about Barnabas is that he was used by God one day when there was a work going on in the church of Antioch. 
he was used by God to travel north and to look for this guy named Saul to bring him to the church so that he would be involved in the ministry. And I don't know what Saul was doing for sure. I mean, maybe he was involved in little things here and there. You don't hear really much about what Saul was doing during that time, later known to be Paul. But it was because of the gift of exhortation, this son of encouragement. It was because of Barnabas exercising his gift faithfully that Paul the Apostle was then used by God to change the world. But you see what happens? Later on, Paul passed Barnabas, so to speak, in one sense. But see, it began with Barnabas being faithful with the gift that God had given to him. You see this over and over again in the book of Acts. Later in Acts chapter 14, Paul became the encourager. In verse 22, it says, strengthening the souls. Oh, that's so cool, man. Strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. When you have that gift of exhortation and you're sensitive to the Lord and you go up to that brother or that sister, you say that word, whatever it might be, what a difference it makes to them. It strengthens their souls. It could be words of comfort. It could be words of concern. You know, it's kind of funny. Right now when I was going out the back door, I get to travel through all the children that are there. And one of the little guys, it was so cool, man, when I was walking out the door, he said, be careful of the dungeon. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, is that a word from you or what? <laughs> okay, I'm going to be careful of the dungeon. <laughs> and the word of the Lord comes to us through the mouth of babes. Look at in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. It says, now, Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. You know, the Lord is doing such a neat work here in this church, you know. And I know, man, I get blown away by some of the things that I, I hear is going on and how that person is being used over there and she's being used over here. And it's just so cool. And so I'm not coming down on you guys, but I am encouraging you to continue and even to grow in these things. Because if we're not using the gifts of the Spirit, if we are not exercising these Spirit-given gifts, then we're just doing what man can do. And that's not a lot, you know, and that's not going to make a dent in anyone's destiny. But when we begin to exercise the gifts that God's given to us, now we're talking about the Holy Spirit working. And the Holy Spirit changing lives. You see, and that's what we want. You know, I think it was A.W. Tozer. He said, you know, you could take the church out of the, uh, the Holy Spirit out of the church today. And, and we would just kind of continue doing what we're doing. Because a lot of times, so little of what we're doing is really God. But you take the Holy Spirit out of the early church, they would die. <laughs> they would cease to exist. You guys, we need to depend on the Lord. Find out what gifts you have. Some of you here have the gift of tongues. And you haven't been speaking the gift of tongues. And I wonder why. That's a prayer language that God gives to you, that you pray to God for. And, you know, he, he intercedes. I mean, just so many things, you guys, that we have to exercise those gifts for God's glory. Whether it be teaching or exhortation. I like what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2. 
In verse 11 and 12, he says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. John Stott said, This gift may be exercised from a pulpit or a platform or through writing, but more often it's used behind the scenes as a gift of counseling or offering friendship to the lonely and giving courage to those who have lost heart. You you look around the room today and you see somebody maybe afterwards or maybe even before who came to church by themselves. And there they are, they're sitting in their seat by themselves. You know, so many things might be going on in their hearts. I mean, the things that you guys go through, I mean, it just so much and as you see them there all alone God wants to use your life God's given you the grace and the courage to be able to approach them and and say hi how are you my name is you know Manny and and I I just wanted to see how you do and I mean welcome to the church I mean you name it and you begin to share those words and reach out and exercise those gifts that God has given to you you know, next, he kind of mentions an interesting gift. It's the gift of giving. Look, verse 8, he who gives with liberality. Now, for some Christians, this just overflows supernaturally. You know, some of you here, and I know, I could tell you right now, that person, that person, they have the gift of giving. And it's beautiful to see it. It's amazing to see it. Gifts that have been given to me, Gifts that have been given to the church. I mean, you name it. It could be VBS. It could be, you know, just the, the chairs that you're sitting on. So many different things. But they have that gift of giving. And they do so with liberality. It's an amazing thing. Some people have the gift of stinginess. And it's kind of a funny thing. <laughs> but there are those who are givers. And you don't just give the 10%. You give above and beyond. It might not just be financially. It's in other areas. You don't just give gifts occasionally on birthdays, for example. You give gifts frequently. It can be any day. You're that person who loves to give. And you're quick to respond to that need. You heard the announcement. And for some reason, you take action because it's inside of you. And when you give, like I said, you don't give stingily. You give liberally. And that's the encouragement we read here in verse 8. That's how you're to give. To give with liberality. The NIV, the NLT say generously. And you don't just give out of your abundance either. That's not the gift of giving. Unsaved people do that. No, you're Christians and you give sacrificially. I like what Mother Teresa said. She said, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving. It's a lot, a lot of truth to that. Because most of us here give out of our abundance. Jesus even spoke about that. If you want to turn over to Luke chapter 21, here's a lady who definitely had the gift of giving. Look what it says in Luke 21 in verse 1. It says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Notice Jesus sees what's going in. He sees everything, right? But here's a poor widow giving two mites. 
And so he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. And you're thinking, more than all? How, how can she give him more? She gave two pennies. What do you mean she gave more than all? And Jesus explains in verse 4, For all these, out of their abundance, have put in offerings. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. And I've seen people like that. And they don't have a nice car. And they don't have a nice house. Not that those things are bad. But they don't have a whole lot. And yet they give above and beyond. That's a supernatural gift. And we need to give cheerfully. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so if the offering thing goes by and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to give, you know, don't give because it won't count anyways. Might as well keep it and buy a hamburger afterwards, man. <laughs> when you give, give cheerfully. Wow, what a blessing, man. I get to give to the Lord. I read a story about a little girl and a mom, and her mom wanted to teach her daughter the moral lesson of giving. And so she gave the little girl a quarter and she gave her a dollar for the church. And she said, put whichever one you want into the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. And so when they were coming out of the church, the mother asked her daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should be cheerful givers. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I gave the quarter. (laughs) So I did. And you may laugh, but you know what? For a lot of us, that hits home. If you have the gift of giving, give with liberality. Or maybe you're here today and you have not only the gift of giving, but back in the book of Romans, the gift of leading. That's what he says right there. He exhorts an exhortation and gives with liberality. He who leads, it says, with diligence. Now, the Greek word means to rule, to care for. And it's what God gives to those who he sets in places of leadership so that leaders would influence others for God, others for good, leading them primarily to the Lord himself. And if you have that role and responsibility, the Bible says that we should lead, it says right here, with diligence. If you're a leader, if you have any form of responsibility in leadership, then please take that so seriously. The Bible says to do so with diligence. The Greek word for diligence, it means to be earnest. It means to strive after something. If you're here today and you're a leader, an overseer, an elder, a pastor, please understand God wants you to lead with diligence, and that is careful, persistent work and efforts. If you have that responsibility of being a leader, can I ask you a question? Are you leading those entrusted to you? And if so, where are you leading them? You know, I've always shared with you guys that I believe a good leader is a good follower of Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, you keep the people close to you as well because you care so much about them. You know, some so-called leaders simply follow the common path. And yet sometimes God calls us to go instead where there is no path and to leave a new trail. 
And that's why it's so important that we follow the Lord and we lead his people to, to do so with diligently. You know, a Chinese proverb says this, be first in the field and last on the couch. And that kind of resonates within my heart. Abraham Lincoln said, the leading rule for a man of every calling is diligence. Abraham Lincoln said, never put off tomorrow what you can do today. I mean, if you think about it, even a mosquito doesn't get a slap on the back until he starts working. (laughs) Right? And so we need to start working. We need to be diligent as leaders. One guy said this, no one ever attains very eminent success by simply doing what is required of him. It's the amount and excellence of what is over and above the required that determines the greatness of ultimate distinction. And sometimes I think we just do what we do to squeak by. And God says, no, if you want to lead according to the Lord, then you do so with diligence. It's so cool, you guys, knowing that we have different gifts. And wherever God places us, that we exercise those gifts faithfully. You know, we're not a melting pot, you guys. When you come to church and you have different gifts and we come together, you don't lose your identity. We don't kind of go into this melting pot. No, it's so beautiful the way that we're different. We're more like a salad, you know, and it's each one, tomatoes and onions and lettuce and all those different things. You're, you're fresh and together, and God does such an amazing work. But we've got to know, and you guys have to know, that if this church is going to be everything that God wants it to be, It's got to be all of us doing what God wants us to do. Not just, you know, me or, you know, the elders or, you know, a few people here and there. It's all of us. It really is. I'm so grateful to you as a congregation because I know you pray for me. And I'm just so blessed because I remember one time they asked Charles Spurgeon. They said, hey, man, you must be a really, you know, good pastor you know, to have such a church like this. And, and Charles Spurgeon said, you know what? It's not that I'm a good pastor. It's just that I have a great congregation. And I really feel that way. I, I really feel that way in this church here. Um, but I think we need to remember, though, that it's not just the leader's job or not just the 10% that are involved in ministry. It's all of us. All of us here. It really is. We all need each other. Now, I read a story about a man who broke his left arm. And one night when he couldn't sleep, he imagined a dialogue between his right and his left hand. And his right hand said, left hand, you're not missed. Everybody's glad it was you that was broken and not me. You're not very important. And so the left hand asked, well, how are you superior? And the right hand replied, why, my owner can't write a letter without me. But the left hand said, well, who holds the paper when you write? And the right hand said, well, I swing the hammer. And the left hand said, who holds the nail when you swing the hammer? The right hand said, well, who guides the plane when the carpenter smooths the board? And the left hand said, well, who steadies the board? The right hand said, when our owner walks down the street, which hand does he raise to say hi? And the left hand said, well, who holds the briefcase while he walks down the street and then he continued let me ask you a question when our owner shaved yesterday you held the razor but his face is cut because I wasn't there to help also our owner's watch has stopped why 
Well, because you may do the winding, but I'm not there to hold it, and so the watch won't get wound. And you can't even take money out of his wallet to pay for something because I'm not there to hold it. You see, the master can do very few things without me as well, and so too does each of us have a place of service for the Lord. None is greater than the other. We're just different. And we need to exercise our gifts faithfully. I like the last one that he ends with today in verse 8. He says, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. No, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is a heart of compassion when you see someone who's in need. And maybe they're not worthy, but you reach out to them nonetheless. And I, and I think we really need this in exercising even our gifts because none of us are worthy. Let me look at that pastor or that individual and say, I'm not going to do anything for them. I don't even want them to succeed. That's not mercy. You know what? None of us is worthy. But together, when we take up our responsibilities, God is going to do a great work. John Stott said, since our God is a merciful God, his people must be merciful too. And to show mercy is to care for anybody who is in need or distress, whether foreigners, orphans, widows, the handicapped, the sick, the dying. Even though we know we're not worthy, God wants us to show mercy. You know, sometimes I think, you know, and I don't know for sure if I have the gift of mercy or if I'm just a knucklehead. You know, I think a little bit of both, you know. But, you know, some people, Manny, you're too soft. You know, you're too soft. And maybe I am too soft. I don't know for sure. But, man, I know God has shown me so much mercy. And I think that helps me to show mercy to others. And I think if we take a good look and we just say, Lord, you've shown me so much mercy, then we're going to extend that to others as well. But we're living in the last days. And we need to make sure that we know what this is all about. Well, Manny, I made that final and formal and faithful proclamation, man. I heard Romans 12, 1 and 2 loud and clear. I, I, you know, it's all taken care of, man. My body is presented as a living sacrifice. Okay, cool. So what ministry are you serving in? You see, and I know it has a lot more to do with that, but believe me, the Lord didn't waste any time. Boom, he gets into it, and you get involved in ministry, and you serve the Lord with the gifts that God has given to you. And the exercise of these gifts, you guys, we need to make sure that we cooperate and we don't compete with each other. I don't know if you guys heard the story about the master craftsman, but one day Brother Hammer was appointed to preside over the master's tool convention. And so Brother Screwdriver objected, saying, Brother Hammer, you're too noisy to preside over this meeting. You're always driving home your point. You're always nailing people. I call for your resignation. So Brother Hammer responded, Well, what about you, Brother Screwdriver? All you ever do is spin around in circles. <laughs> that may be true, said Brother Screwdriver, but at least I'm not like Brother Plain. His work is simply on the surface. He's so shallow. 
What right does he have to be here? Well, if you're going to kick me out, protested Brother Plain, what about Brother Ruler? He thinks he's right all the time, measuring everyone else by his own standard. (laughs) Well, if you're going to come down on me, argued Brother Ruler, what about Brother Pliers? He needs to get a grip. (laughs) Well, at least I don't rub people the wrong way, said Brother Pliers, staring at Brother Sandpaper. (laughs) Just then, the master craftsman walked in, And as he used each tool, one by one, each tool at the perfect time and in the perfect way, he created an absolute masterpiece. And that's what God will do, you guys, if we all exercise our gifts faithfully. Let's pray. Lord. We thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you so much, Father, for allowing us to serve you. Forgive me, Lord, sometimes when I might lack diligence in different areas. Forgive me, Lord, sometimes when I get lazy or I just get distracted, Lord. I know you knit me together in my mother's womb for a purpose. I know the same is true for my brothers and sisters here, Lord. And so, Lord, whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing for you, Lord, I pray that we would. And that you would just raise up a healthy church, a holy church, that would really, truly bring you glory and make a difference in this world that we live in. Bringing good to the people, Lord, saving souls, strengthening your saints. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord. May you be with us now as we go this day and throughout the week, Lord. I just thank you so much that we do have a relationship with you. And Lord, help us to let that relationship be the centerpiece of our life. We do love you, Lord. We do thank you. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.